Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I train people on how to teach breathwork as well. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hangups, where we're going to help you change your life. We're going to show you how to transform your life with different tools. That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my life. I have struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life, and I've gotten through it. This is a solution-based show. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Yeah, Phil. Yeah, what's up, brother? I'm good. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Hey, let me get a set up real quick. There you are. There you are. Yeah. Do you know, do you know my friend John Paul, who uh, is a breathwork coach and used to be my trainer and my bodyguard on tour? Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. We, met, we met once before. I used to train under Crone Gracie. We talked about Crone. Yeah, Remember when yeah, you were making yeah, the album yeah. with Feldy? Yes, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah John Paul does this, um, does this podcast with me. He's one of, my, one of my closest friends, just like you are, my friend. One nice. of my best friends. Yeah, thank, thank you so very much for the song. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to come out with that song. Yeah, we have, a, um, we have a song called Real Love that just came out on my label, Big Noise. And Makua just, we, we did this, we wrote this song over Zoom. And then I had him record it onto his iPhone, just like singing into voice, into voice notes. And yeah. he sent me the whole song on ukulele and on, vo- on all his vocals. We and wrote it right there against that wall. I was sitting right there when we did it. Oh my God. <laughs> Same spot. <laughs> um, well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. One of my best friends on the planet, Makua Rothman, all the way from Hawaii, 7 a.m. in the morning. He's up, Aloha. ready to go. Legendary big wave surfer. Won the, um, the competition in 2015 for big wave surfing. Like my son likes to say, number one surf. Julian always says, number one surfer on the planet. Amazing singer. Amazing boxer, fucking trains harder than anyone I've ever met. Just a fucking all around, you know, great father, great husband. I love you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Love you too, Feldy. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry about the mix up 10 a.m. Hawaii, 7 a.m. Hawaii. Yeah, what's, um, what's been going on in your life since you've been quarantined? Um, I just actually got back from Kelly Slater Surf Ranch. I went to California. I took my daughter on a daddy-daughter trip um this past week and um this whole quarantine thing has been pretty crazy in hawaii because they just let the tourists back on the 15th of october so it's been i don't know maybe 10 11 days and um 
I was so spoiled and jaded when they locked us down because there was nobody here. It was only us surfing. Oh my God. Only us at the store. I could go to Holly Eva and back three, four, five times a day if I wanted to because it only takes 10 minutes to get there. Now, you're in another one. From my house to Holly Eva, I think it's four miles right around there. One hour. Oh. Uh, that far. Yeah. Because the traffic's so gnarly now that everybody's back. But I mean, our economy needed it. A lot of small businesses that were around for 30, 40 years are no longer ever going to be there because of this pandemic or whatever they want to call it. And um, our, our, our government here in Hawaii's really um, not that smart. So, yeah. But other than that, I've just been training, fishing, hunting, dadding, singing, and uh, making wonderful music with Feldy. Yeah, dude. I wish you were. And <laughs> next time you come out here, let's do a live. Let's do a live session so we can write another song. I would love to. Dude, people have people have been hitting me up all over the place about how much they love real love. It's such a special song, man. We killed. Hey, you know, you know what's crazy is that's like a, you know, trippy way. The 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 name of the story is like how I feel for you, for all the real love. Like you took me in under your wing as this kid from Hawaii that was trying to make music and you know we made an album together and created a, a friendship and a bond that went past friendship it was more like family you know you brought me into your home and you know right next to your family and I always am so thankful to have you in my life not only as helping me with music but a, a example of how an awesome father should be um, working on my sobriety myself just looking up to you in all those kind of ways you're such a, a real example and i just feel like it's uh every time around you it's just real love it's not like somebody wants something from me like always or you know it seems like you just want me to do good in life and and to be able to look up to somebody like you is amazing so that's that title real love is kind of how i feel every time i'm around you man and it's it's amazing oh man i feel i feel the same way about <laughs> you i mean you brought me into your home and we were on the north shore and I got, I was watching, you know, when I woke up early this one, the, the first morning we were finishing the record that we made together. And I was watching your father, you know, train out because I think he lives in the house next to yours, right? He yeah, was yeah. Right? He was watching him train and I'm like, this is a whole different fucking life. But I mean, pretty much every day we were making that, that album, we were going up to Laird Hamilton's house. And this, this, oh, podcast, yeah. this podcast is kind of like about, um, I mean, it's about whatever, but ultimately it's about, you know, kind of you know, mental health and what we do to, to keep ourselves sane, especially during this time of quarantine, you know, and every day we would wake up, we'd drive over to Malibu and, uh, you know, we would, you know, you're really tight with, with Laird and I, you know, I'd only met him through you and we would do those except for when you were babysitting his dog and his dog used to, <laughs> his dog used to fuck, just fuck my old dog lightning. He would get behind lightning and just fucking doggy style lightning. Oh my God. We'd be in the, we'd be in the studio looking on and just, you'd be like, ah! All around the yard. I'm like, oh my god, Fucking Laird Hamilton's dog is just so he's just, that dog is so fucking horny. Um, oh my god. That dog and, got uh, eaten and we were just that dog got eaten by the coyotes. Uh my yeah, so did so did lightning. Yeah. Not, yeah, so oh did my, lightning. Oh my god, yeah, Laird's dog, he, he was in the backyard and all they found was his poor little head. Both those dogs are um are in doggy heaven now, but we used to go over there and, and he had these weights that we would, I think he has a 13 foot pool. So we drop foot, down yeah. to, the, to the bottom of the pool, do push out squats off the bottom of the pool, take a gasp of air at the top and then sink back down. <laughs> and we would do sets of 30 and then sit in his, in his like 
130 degree sauna and then do an ice bath. And we would just go circle around that circuit. And man, that was probably some of the best shape I've ever been in making that album. Well, that, that, that's crazy because that sauna was 210 degrees or almost 220 degrees. And that, that, um, that XBT life training that he does that I took you to um, do while we were doing that, he was actually creating his new form or his new um, fitness program. You know, it wasn't really a thing then. It was kind of like a concept of making this big um, fitness program. He was going to do this thing where you like, a, um, <coughs> excuse me, like a competition where you run through fire super hot room that's heated with all these things and you do all these workouts and you go to this super cold room and you do all this stuff and you jump in the pool and it was going to be like this big circle like almost like american ninja warrior but like to the most extreme where it's like zero degrees and you're working out and you know as hot as you can stand it until someone actually cooks and trying to work out so he had all these crazy ideas and what he came up with was which you probably didn't know at the time was we were r&ding his new fitness program which is xpt with the breathing remember we're doing the breath the workouts in the water and then the ice and sauna so he has a full program not to mention he he launched his uh those coffees we were drinking in the morning remember he make those super gnarly coffees he turned that one into right a, here i got a layered latte from air one right here look at that it's public now it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's on the stock exchange i've been watching the ticker i've been watching it because i i use that i use the creamer in my coffee and i'm like i think this the company i live in oregon now i moved out of la to oregon and the company's right down the street from my house here in oregon the layer oh, wow. yeah so i've been watching it like i think this stock is going to go up you know like i bought peloton stock at the start of the shutdown and that's gone through the roof the peloton stock yeah yeah so, yeah I, you know, I was, I was, I was thinking a lot about like, you know, what, what I want to talk about today. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of stuff, but I mean, you know, I, I guess I want to start, I grew up in the suburbs in Northern California. I grew up with uh, our, our mutual friend, Dave Nelson was one of my best friends in high school. And you know, he had yeah, a Nelly. Nelly bra and he used to have a, a half pipe in his backyard. And, you know, we were just fucking crazy. We would just go and just rip, you know, steal cars and just go like just break into garages and steal people's alcohol and jewelry and sell it for cocaine and all the shit that we did as kids. We were just fucking derelicts, you know, and um, and, you know, Brother Nelly, like this one time when I was living, I was living with him in San Diego and and uh, I was so drunk this one night and I had gotten crabs from this fucking gross, just this gross whatever. And, uh, and I was done. I was like, I'd used the rid. I got rid of the crabs. And, and Brother Nelly fucking woke me up at two in the morning after I fucking sprayed my whole room down. He kicked me awake and he's like, he's like, good morning, brah sprinkle sprinkle and he sprinkles crabs back over my bed because he itched his scrotum and just sprinkled crabs over my oh, bed and he's like that's sick fucker that's sick fucker so <laughs> i mean it's like i grew up you know i grew up in sort of middle class america in california and all my friends surfed you know i mean there was a huge shark attack at um up at Davenport, north of Santa Cruz, when I was a kid, and one of my best friends, Mark Oje, was the first guy to surf afterwards. But we were also stoned; we didn't even know there was a shark attack. And he was—he—he he got himself in the surfing museum in Santa Cruz for being the first guy to surf after this great white shark attack. And I just wanted to just hear a little bit of like what it was like growing up on the North Shore, and and like just your, your history. Growing up on the North Shore for me was fucked. I mean, my dad was the six million dollar man. My first recollection of life, you know, was, was, um, actually I gotta get you one of these hats, Phil, do you check that out? 
Sick. <laughs> well, my first, you know, I'm, my life started off like shit. Um, three or four years old, you know, they came in, 72 police officers to arrest one guy, blew the door open, and I was taking a nap right there. The door's open, all I have to do is walk in. Of course, they blow it open with, I don't know what the fuck they blow the door open with, and shit lands everywhere. They come in, beat up my mom, they fucking hold the gun to my head. I'm only a little kid. Get out of the fucking fuck, fam. It's like, I don't even know what's going on. It's, you know, when you're that young, you think policemen are nice and they're here to save you. A lot of them are fucking dickheads, you know what I mean, that you've abused their power. And um, being a little kid, it gave me um, PTSD really bad because of the, sh the, the sh what do they call it? The um, trauma. Yeah, the shock trauma or some shit like that because I was so small. Of course, they take my dad. Um, we had years and years of court, and um, I lived on the tent in the beach right here where my house is. You see this house behind me? It's about 100 yards is the ocean, and between here and my house is where I lived in a tent, uh, me and my mom, and we wrote a song about it, me and Feldy, called Desperation Blues, Living on the Beach and What It Is to Be Shitty, and um, oh, I catch myself. Um, so yeah, it, it started like that. What, that's the shit that I remember. You know, when, you, when that kind of... Uh, trauma happens in your life at a young age you don't really forget it i mean you might not for, remember exactly how it went down but that initial shock i don't think ever goes away in your body your heart beats a little different ever since and uh yeah so my dad was um the infamous eddie rothman and everywhere i went it was either like oh i'm a cool because they didn't want to be in trouble for something or fuck those guys fucking this and that so it was pretty it was a pretty trippy way of growing up and i really had to figure that out nowadays um and underlying things why i act certain ways you know what i mean and, and why uh, i do certain things or i've done certain things because um deep down inside i was so traumatized as a kid and not only that my mom and my grandma my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family was my dad's partner was my grandma's brother and supposedly my grandma's brother went for my dad to my grandma and my grandpa and told him they're gonna kill him if they don't, if they testify in court, so that put me in a shitty position where it was like, I didn't know what side of my family was going to die. I didn't know Then my uncle told me, um, he passed away. Oh, if it wasn't for you, I would have killed your mom. You know what I mean? But I couldn't see my nephew sad. If you wasn't there, I would have killed her. No problem. That's his own niece. You know what I mean? So it's like the shit that I grew up around was pretty fucked, honestly, like mentally fucking with someone that things I've seen shouldn't be seen by children. Things I had to go through, shouldn't have to go through with children. But that all being said, being brought up in the most beautiful place in the world, having, you know, a lot of family. And nowadays, having my children and having the opportunity to rid all of that hurt and pain by having my children live a better life and having fun with them and watching the joy in my children's eyes you know, knowing that they're not going to have to see it or be through what I've been through, it really helps me in recovering from a lot of different things, um, from addiction, from, you know, they say depression, depression, depression. And I never really understood depression until I was thinking one day, I'm like, man, this feeling, I always had this feeling. And um, it was a shitty, like empty, fucking grossest, like lonely, no matter where I was, this feeling would come over me and it'd be like, I was just empty and fuck, I didn't know what the fuck it was. And now that I'm 
36 years old, I kind of figured out, like, man, maybe that was like depression or, or something because I was my whole entire childhood like that. And sometimes it came in as, as I was older and I was self-medicating and fucking partying hard. And I think it was all to get rid of all that shitty feelings that I, that I had. And I didn't know why, because I was never a party. I never really did anything until I was older. And, um, it's, uh, it's just such a blessing to have someone like Feldy in my life to help guide me. And, you know, I fucked up plenty of times between now and when I met Feldy and, um, every single time I come back to, you know, what would Feldy do? And, um, he's just been such a guiding light in my life. And right now I'm in such a good place. I'm looking at my daughter getting ready for school. Mom's coming down the stairs. Family life's great. Um, treated myself good and um, the waves are here it's winter time and the most beautiful place on earth I have nothing to complain about your mom was um, Hawaiian royalty yeah yeah I'm the 12th great grandson of King Kamehameha um, I actually have my genealogy chart from the great king all the way down to me the line straight down <laughs> it's fucking awesome I, I know you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned kind of the police brutality that you experienced as a little kid have you have you experienced, I mean, being a native Hawaiian, have you experienced, like, what kind of racism have you experienced on the island? Oh, my God. Like, watching it nowadays on the TV, you know, and all this stuff that's been going on, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and stuff like that. It's like, you know, over here it's different because we've been so, um, we've been so fucked over forever. Our people, they committed genocide in Hawaii. They put a blood quantum on our race like you can't put a blood quantum on anything that's committing genocide because once your blood goes you know the the um the ethnicity level goes to a certain level and there's only a certain percent the hawaiians don't get any of their land they don't get any of their trust money they don't get nothing so all of a sudden it's gone and it turns into something else you know what i mean they can't do it hawaiians have been treated like shit for so long people don't know there's a thing called i'm pretty sure it's called black birding and it was the Polynesian race that was enslaved like slaves and were sent over to Australia and all over the world. One Polynesian was worth five blacks. And um, it's, it's Hawaiians have been so treated like shit um, because big corporations came here and overthrew our queen. And ever since then, Hawaiians have been treated like second-class citizens forever. I mean, brown skin, the police, they always fuck with the Hawaiian people, no matter what. Like, give you an example. COVID right now, give perfect example. $5,000 fine for a local Hawaiian if they're at the beach, caught at the beach without a mask, right? Arrested. Big court cases, everything, right? During COVID. The tourists come back. It's still a mandatory to wear your mask and Still a fine if you're at the beach without your mask on, right? The mayor films himself like this, passing out masks to the tourists. Oh, welcome back to Hawaii. Welcome back. You know, be careful. Wear a mask. If that was a local Hawaiian person, guys were getting thrown to the ground in front of their families, arrested, torn away from their children because they weren't wearing a mask because they're Hawaiian. You know what I mean? And, and, and the, nothing wrong. I don't have nothing against the tourists, but the way that the state and our police force treat our people it's like hawaiians they're our own it's crazy hawaii is one of the only places that's against its own people which is the fucking craziest thing in the world because people come to hawaii to see hawaii to be to receive that aloha spirit to see the real hawaii the hawaiian people and what they do 
And in turn, what do they do? They tax us like crazy. They build a $10 billion rail that will never work that we got to pay for. And the cops treat us like all, especially if you're brown skin and you're Hawaiian, Hawaiian, they treat you like fucking shit. Mm, there's got to be, I mean, there's like this, uh, and, the, and there's the, the other side of it that I, that I experienced, which is, um, you know, when you took me out surfing, I think we went out at Sunset, is it Sunset Beach? Sunset, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and, it, and, and literally it was like the parting of the Red Seas. People saw you coming and they just let you, it was like your ocean. They just let you take, I experienced the same thing when we went out surfing at First Point Malibu. Everyone's like, that's Makua Rothman. And like your legacy precedes itself for you know, your family <laughs> and, and who you are and, and, and the legend of a surfer that you are. And, um, yeah. and there's that side of it as well. That's like, you know what I mean? That you're embraced by surfing culture more than anyone I've ever met, you know? Well, you know, like, I've just started a new web series called Makua Aloha. And in the comments below, there's people like, is Makua really the thug that everybody says he is? Because he seems like such a wonderful dad and this and that. And like I said, it's everybody goes through phases in life. And I was the fucking punkiest prick you ever met at one point. And that sea parted maybe half because of what I've done in the past and because, and the other half because that, you know, I am a professional surfer. And at the time when you came... You know, I was on my way to win my first world title and I was hungry and I was just surfing as much as I could. And, you know, people respect that. They know that, oh, this guy's a professional surfer. Maybe we should just stay out of his way. And the other side might have been like, this guy was the punkiest prick in the world and he might bite you. So maybe we'll move over. And that kind of side I'm trying to get rid of. I kind of like it too on the side undercover because it still kind of keeps people on their toes, you know? <laughs> well, don't you yeah. think, don't you think we all have those <clears throat> sides? You know what I mean? Like I used to beat the shit out of people all the time. Feldy took me on tour and I beat up so many people on tour with <laughs> Feldy. It's ridiculous. And now I teach breath work meditation. You know, I'm like this spiritual breathing teacher, but like, look, if somebody did something to my family, I mean, it's over. You know what I mean? You cross the line and forget about it. So I still have that side and I do jujitsu like five days a week because I need to take care of that side of me. There is a piece of me that needs to just like slap on a choke and let people know and feel that aggression. But like, I don't think like I for years thought I had to get rid of that side of me and I struggle with it. Like, I don't want to be this guy who has all this aggression and has this anger, has this stuff. And instead what I decided to do was embrace it and just find an outlet for it which was jujitsu for me, right? Yeah. So I think it's like embracing that. We have the light and the dark inside of us. And without, without the dark, you can't really see the light, like the, the love that I have for my children. I watched a video with you with your children and the love that you have for your children. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate love right there. And then you have the dark side too. And so we have, you can't feel it all if you don't feel the other side of it. And I think- yeah, well Go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> I understand me. what you're saying. Some of us are just so fucked up and dark that- any kind of light that we get, we try and hang on to all the time. You know, it's like, yeah, I was so fucked when I was a kid and so dark, I guess. And yeah. you know, so I was so angry and like that side of me, that's why I surf big waves. I mean, I surf the biggest waves on planet earth. Like the, my wipeout in uh, Fiji when I won the wipeout of the year, that will get rid of any punkiness slap on choke that I need to do that way will kick that shit out of me and I'll come up feeling like cleansed. It's almost like I was 
baptized again. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, I feel. I think it was humble again. (laughs) I think it was Layer that said, "I don't care how tough you think you are. The ocean has a paddle big enough to spank anyone out there. It doesn't matter how tough you think you are. When you get and I used to surf, and when I get in, when I get in, was a big day to me. Was probably the smallest day ever you've surfed, and I'd be like terrified out there. And I think I'm a tough guy, and then I get out in the waves, and I start getting pushed down man held down and i'm fucking scared to death i think i think the first time i met you makua you had maybe done the wipeout of the year whatever year year can you talk talk about that one do you remember that feldy i was singing recording and pulling out stitches and putting it on the um the lyric sheet yeah the stand man i i left what I was with you and then I left and I came back or was yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it was halfway through. I the was album. with you. Yes, I was with you. I left to Tahiti for a swell. Um, and like a dummy, I had, um, I had uh, <laughs> paddled. I knew the waves were going to be massive, massive, massive. And I couldn't wait because guys were getting big barrels and guys were out there paddling already. And I'm like, oh, I got to get out there and battle with these guys when I should have been like Laird and been like, just watch these guys do their thing. And when it gets a hundred feet, then I do my thing. No, I went out there and you see this table. I'll show you, you know, like American history X when they put the guy's head on the table, like they curb curb and then step yeah. on his head. That's what the, the ocean did to me. It curved me. I came down, hit my mouth, boom. And my lip was all the way under my chin over here. So my smile went around my face. So all of this inside of here, it connects right there peeled off like an orange if you can imagine that as an orange peel and you just oh. peeled your lip off your off your chin um so i held it back i think i got in the in the company of 80 stitches somewhere around there i'm not exactly sure yeah it was uh i was singing and felt he had me hitting those high notes yeah every time <laughs> like, like that Stitches would be flying out. I'm like, Feldy, look, I got another one. And I put it up and we lined up. And he left it there and we lined it up. I don't know how many fell out during the singing, but oh my God, that white ball. Honest to to God, if I would have knocked out because where I hit my chin, if I would have knocked out underwater, I would have 100% not been here or have finished that album. So God had blessed me and gave me another chance to come back and sing. But one of the greatest friends producers on earth and changed my life forever once again but um yeah that that whole thing about uh having to uh get that side out of me uh the waves definitely take care of that the boxing i mean feldy has met rob garcia my boxing coach as well um i've actually been out here boxing with um nito i have a friend his name is um carlos tangaro nito boxing if anybody ever comes to hawaii um, anytime I feel like I'm too good for school, I go over there and box with the professional boxer kids and the, the amateur um, world champs and stuff like that. And those young boys, they put a whoop into me, and I love it. Um, I get to go over there. I get that, uh, that energy out. I get to throw some blows. And um, Carlos is another guy that's turned his life around six years sober, um, came from the trash of the trash to have such a wonderful life. And been such a um, great friend of mine and, and growing through this life together, um, being around people like that. It, um, it's amazing what, what life can bring to you when you're good to yourself. <laughs> How often do you train now? I train um, every day. I trained, uh, I was supposed to be at training right now at seven and you called me when I was walking out the door. That's why I got my tracksuit on. And I ran back inside and took my, uh, 
training stuff, all my leggings and stuff off, and I put my uh, basketball shorts back on to be comfortable. And now I'm here. So tell me, tell me, like, walk me through what it, what it, is it an, are you trained for an hour, two hours? Uh, it depends. So usually the, the morning session is about in, we'll start at seven, we'll be done around 8.30, 8.40, something like yeah. that, sometimes nine, um, because we do the breath work first, then we do our um, breath work, dynamic warm-up, core, uh, balance, reaction, and then we'll get onto our workouts or, you know, whatever the workout may be. Or like yesterday, we went to Pupukia. It's a surf spot just down the road. And we did all of our circuit on the beach. So you do your circuit, you jump on your board, you paddle out, you catch one wave. You surf that wave to the beach. The coach films it. Come in, gives you a score, kind of critiques what you should do on the wave. While you're working out, you do that workout again. Um, back again, back again. Out in the water, we do five, you know, six rounds of that. And that'll be a day of training. And then I'll go like Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2.30. The kids are getting ready for fights right now at Nito's Boxing Gym. So I'll go and um, I'll box. And I was watching Feldy's boxing video yesterday. It looks so fun. You and your friend in there in the ring. I was like, yeah, Feld. What, what, kind, of, what kind of breath work do you do at the start of the workout? What, what style uh, what, is it? What technique? Well, I'll just do a bunch of like um, Laird uh, Wim Hof styling, um, his XPT app. Yeah. Uh, like 30 breaths work. in and then the hold and the breath retention. Well, a lot of be, not so much that exactly. More like um, different, like, you know, um, maybe a real, real deep breath, a two-stage breath, um, mm -hmm. a rapid breath, a few holds. Just, you know, there's ones for before training, which kind of elevate your heart and get you yep. ready, get the oxygen to your muscles that you need. And then there's ones that after the workout will calm you down put the oxygen back but calming breath instead of more like a breath to get you you i mean you as a breath coach would know more than yeah. i do but i would love to work with you on some breath stuff if that if that can yeah. be done you know we can definitely That'd be awesome <laughs> i would love that that'd be amazing i, I you know I'll, what is I'll, your style of what is your style of breath training so i i have the you know i know all the different styles but the one i teach the most is like a, it's called a two-part breath where you you inhale into your mouth into the belly and then into the chest and then you let it fall out and you start again and you keep that connected. So it's like, and you know, you so funny is, that's you how I recover when I'm tired. Like if I'm running and stuff, I'll do a two stage breath. I'll do my stomach and my lungs and then out. Stomach and lungs and for hard out. Minutes. And what it does is it, it clears out any of the trauma from like childhood or whatever out of your nervous system. So usually what happens is people have a big, huge emotional release. Like people, they say the most common statement is, oh my God, that was like 20 years of therapy without saying a word. So what I'll do is after the podcast, I'll send you uh, my class from Sunday and it's on Zoom and you can just play the recording and try that out. And then if you want to do a session, we'll do a session, but I want you to awesome. experience it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's part it, of our training as well. I do it like Tony Robbins style where I'm like coaching you through the whole time. Like, keep going. Come on. You've done harder shit in your life than lay on the floor and breathe, you know, like so yelling. Tony Robbins style. So what is it like? 1500 a session no 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 <laughs> i don't mean that. no I, you know i met tony i met tony and he invited me to his seminar and i didn't have to he comped me i didn't have to pay anything and he didn't even know me like i literally just met him at a hockey game and he comped me out it was crazy but what i what i mean by that is just motivation like i'm just shouting like the whole time keep going yes. you know 
all this kind of stuff. And so it's more for like a mental kind of thing, you know, like I'm 20 years sober. And when I found this thing at 12 years sober, I found it eight years ago, I did it and it was like, oh my God, like this is the thing. Why didn't somebody show this to me when I was like 13 and suicidal, you know, and like doing drugs and wanting to kill myself, like all this crazy shit. Like it released all that shit for me. And my whole life, I never felt like I was enough. I never felt like I was, you know, big enough or smart enough or tough enough or funny enough. And then I did this thing and it was the first time that I ever felt like I was enough. Like I didn't need you. You know, you say that like for me being a world champion, like ever since I was young, like it was never enough. I don't think for my dad, like I wasn't good enough. I always felt like I was not good enough for him. You know what I mean? Fuck, it just made me so snap at one point that all I wanted to do was be the best in the world that I just walk around with tears coming out of my eyes because I just wanted to win so fucking bad so that I could show my dad that I was the best in the world. And I fucking did it. And I, that year that I won, I'd never been so emotionally weird. Like, I'd just be standing there and, or I'd be on the plane with my filmer we fly into an event and I'd just be fucking rivering down my eyes. What's wrong? I just want to win so fucking bad. I can't, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. It's just, and um, yeah, I know how it feels to not feel good yeah. enough. <laughs> you know, I, it's interesting because I've worked with Oscar winners, Grammy winners, uh, Olympic gold medalists. And a lot of them have told me like the moment I got that gold medal, it was like the relief, but also like, oh, it didn't fix this thing inside of me. It didn't fix that empty hole inside of me. Like once I get that trophy, I'm going to be enough. And it didn't fix them, right? And then they get fucking depressed around it because like, oh, well, if this isn't going to make me be enough, then what is? And so it's always an inside job, right? Did you have that feeling after you won a little bit? I had that feeling after the second world title was stripped from me and I was ripped off of my second world title because I did as much as I could and I fucking wanted again. I know I did all I had to do. The heat was over. I'm like, I made it to the next round. I'm a fucking two-time world champion, right? And they come and give me this bullshit excuse of how I didn't. And this other guy made it. And I'm like, how? He wasn't even surfing? But, oh, he caught a few waves in here. And long story short, it, it took away my second world title right there. And I was just like, talk about not feeling enough. And then it was like, because everybody said, oh, anybody can do anything once. You know what I mean? It's luck. It comes once. Skill is twice. And fuck after that, I started partying hard and thinking I was the shit. I was already a world champ. And I was fucking doing drugs major and I was like really really in a fucking shitty spot and the next years came around I mean I didn't I don't think I've ever fell out of fifth less than fifth place and I broke I hit my sternum mm. uh broke my sternum at Porto fucking pills wide um it's just a fucked up cycle that I got into after being so high so low and you know the whole surf world was under a microscope because the Andy Irons thing and you know like the fucked up thing about the surf world was was the surf bosses and everybody was doing drugs with the athletes and to, to be cool with them you know you go to another country and they see this athlete from America that they never see is the best in the world they show up with every drug in the world just to be your friend because they want to be with you you know what I mean they know that you don't know nobody over there so obviously you're going to hang with them right it was a pretty fucked up situation and yeah, being a world champion and not being happy was a pretty fucked up thing too. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm just so blessed to have my children right now because they 
every day I get to do with my daughter, like this last trip and how the bond that we have right now, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And she's helping me heal all the scars and just being able to do anything for my children to make sure that they don't feel shitty like I do, which is never guaranteed because even though you have a good life, people fall into, you know, different state, state of minds, I guess. And, um, I don't know, following Feldy's lead and uh, trying my best to always remember Feldy in my heart, in my mind. Um, it's an awesome ride, man. It's an awesome ride, and I'm happy to be here today, sitting here you know, with you wonderful people. <laughs> yeah, thanks, bra. And um, I was thinking how music has changed both of our lives. You know, both of us definitely have had music since we were, you know, little kind of just alter the course of our lives. And I knew, I know you had a relationship with Brada Is. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, Is is, um, there's a reason to call him the Hawaiian Superman. He's, uh, he was everything, you know, to Hawaiians at that time in our history where, you know, it's almost like the blacks where we had to find our own identity. You know, they, once upon a time, Hawaiians wanted to scrub their brown off of them. You have stories of Hawaiian guys trying to scrub the brown off of them because they're ashamed to be brown. And the way that the Hawaiians were treated here in Hawaii um, during the 1993 was the 100 year of the overthrow of our queen. And, you know, in the late, I guess I would say 80s, 90s, it was this huge, maybe the late 70s, there was this massive, massive movement of Hawaiian-ness and this place called Kaho'olawe that they were bombing with bombs. It took one of our islands, a beautiful island, and broke the water table. They bombed it so hard that it cracked and the island died because nothing can grow because it doesn't hold water anymore. And guys like Brother Is were musically and spiritually and talking about being in the forefront of what it means to be Hawaiian, what it means to support all things Hawaiian and how to be proud to be Hawaiian, you know, and... um. It's um, he was he was just like I said the Hawaiian Superman. Every child wanted to be like his, you know, and because the way that he went about being Hawaiian, be having a relationship was with him was so special. I had um, the opportunity to play music with him a lot, and we'd surf this place called Alamoana Bowls, and he lived in a um, in a building right there across the spot. And every time we'd surf, my dad would take me over there, and we'd jam, and you know they talk story about certain things and um i just got to hang with him and just to be around him and have him teach me things and you know laugh and you know he was a bigger guy and uh, his exercise because he was so big he had to walk around the swimming pool right and i used to sit there and jam the uke and watch and he'd walk around the swimming pool and they don't let him out you know what i mean don't let him get out of the pool so he had to walk around and um he would sing while he was walking and just playing and uh just blessed to have such a special person with so much uh, mana'o, so much knowledge and light. And he was one of the truest Hawaiians I think I've ever been around. And um, unfortunately, we lost him. But through music, because it's so special, we'll never lose him. He'll always be here. He'll always be there for us to remember and inspire and, and to look up to always every day, just like a Bob Marley. When did you start playing the um, ukulele and singing? I started playing the ukulele at a very young age, um, probably five or something like that. Because my uh, family are entertainers. My grandma's a musician, hula dancer. My auntie, my grandma's sister owns Tehatis, which was like the biggest luau 
um, Polynesian dance festivals. You know, when you go to the hotels or the big luau's all around the islands, they own all that. And so my mom worked there. Uh, my grandma worked there. And I didn't want to dance. I do not want to get up on dance floor and dance. So I proudly and happily picked up the ukulele and sat back and just did this instead of having to dance in front of everybody. So, yeah, it was... Uh, it's a thing, you know, in Hawaii, it's the way we communicated before, before um, written language, you showed up at a village or something and you chant, you did a chant in Oli, which is um, a Hawaiian style of, you would state your genealogy and that's how they know who you were. You know, I wasn't John Feldman. I was the descendants of all these people. So they would know, you know, how I was, the way I acted, because I came from this line, I would supposedly have to act a certain way. It's, you know, back in ancient times, they did um, trippy things, I guess, to someone today. But music was one of the main sources of communication. And I think that's why every single person in this in this life, uh, when they say, you know, music can touch your soul and, and, you know, the real songs, you know, hit you right in the heart. Because um, I think the way that our heart beats is like the beat of an ancient drum. And everybody has that some kind of connection even if it's um, subconsciously, that as soon as the music drops, there's a feeling in there because of the beginning of time, what music means to uh, this world in general. If there is no music, this world, I don't think the sun would even, the world would even spin. <laughs> do, you think, do you think, like, I've had hobbies that turned into careers for me, like I used to love to cook, and then I became a chef, and then I loved to work out, and I became a trainer, and then so on and so on, right? And so... When you first started surfing, it was just about surfing. And now that it's like a profession, do you think it takes the, because of the pressure of it, does it take some of the love away of surfing? Does it, does it change it? Because that's what's happened to me. I'm just wondering if that happens with surfing. Well, I think the love for everything, you know, goes up and down. And especially when you're fucking up. I mean, <laughs> at one point I didn't really want to surf. You know what I mean? I didn't right. really care for it because first of all, I was not surfing enough and I felt like shit every time I surf so I was ashamed to do it. I'm a professional surfer. He could barely fucking get to his feet. Or, you know, and it was uh the, the feeling of losing the love for surfing was one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me. Mm. You know, and oh, I can't even believe that it happened, but it was part of my life. It was part of my story. Did you find it back again? And how did you find it back again? Oh it's yeah. His. I mean just <clears throat> I I are you kidding me? I surf as much as I possibly can. I mean, it's just that feeling of he said, that's, that's, where I, that's where I belong. And I lost that when I was in that shitty state of mind, you know, and, and doing bad things. It's um, when you're fucked up, you don't even love your own self. I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? How can you love anything else? Right? That's, true. that's a great point. And, uh, and music. Is, is, music. I was just going to say, me. is music more of the outlet now? Like, is music a good escape? Does it help you get out of your head? Well, you and said, like, well, like you said, you know, things turning into careers. I mean, I was a professional surfer that was supposed to leave and go surfing in Indonesia. And Rob Garcia told me, bro, you have a gift. You can sing and play the ukulele. Why don't you try and be different than the other 1,500 surfers that are going to go and catch the same exact wave as you are and the same thing you've been doing for the last 10 years, no different. You can make an album. You can have, you know, this could be another career. This could be another option for you to make money. Bro, you only can surf for so long. You can play the ukulele and sing for the rest of your life, no matter what. Like, I mean, you know. Love that. Easy. And so I did that. And music became another outlet for me it became another career for me it um it's um 
it's an amazing thing. I mean, you can release so many emotions, so many feelings, and you can, you can change the world in one song. The whole entire planet can be touched by a few words if you put them together correctly. And, I met um, I met Makua through uh, Rick DeVoe, who used to manage Blink One Eighty Two, and and Rick was uh, with Makua's manager for a minute there, and it was like we we did so much stuff. We we did a songwriting trip up to Santa Barbara, and actually went. I mean, I'm going to call it camping. Makua probably wouldn't call it camping because there were there were cabins. It was pretty fancy. We did this like songwriting trip up. Uh, up the coast, and um, I, you know, I played Warp Tour down in San Diego. Makua came on stage and sang um, "Superman" with Goldfinger. It was fucking incredible. Everything. It was so fucking fun, and um, we've done just all this shit together. And it's like when I was in, I was on the Big Island, you know, because I, I, I basically I stay in the fanciest hotels ever. We're staying at the Four Seasons on the Big Island, and then our album came on when I was in the coffee shop there. And I was like, I couldn't have been prouder. It was also on at the airport. <laughs> it was like, Lovely came on in the airport and it was like on the radio stations. And I'm like, holy shit. Because, uh, you know, eventually when we, after we made the album, we signed, you know, Mountain Apple signed Makua and, they, you know, who's a legendary record label from Hawaii that basically released all of Brada Is's stuff. And just, an, it was just an incredible journey for me to watch all of it unfold in front of us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's all I can say. You know, there comes a time in life where there's people that you meet and, you know, they give you the, you know, I, I swear it's all timing and people give you the opportunity that, um, you know, they, they don't know you from the man on the moon, but something's there and they give you this opportunity and you got to take that shot and you got to make it count. And um, I'm just so happy that, uh, you know, through all of this and how long it's been since our first, stuff that we're still working together still making music and hopefully like i said one of these days we make that one song this whole entire planet revolves around <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> so let me ask you something i saw that you like to do the ice bath and the sauna right do you find that that shifts your mental state do you ever like are you ever having a bad day or a bad moment where you're like there it Check is it out. i i have a sauna too in the Check house and Check it out. there it is Sick. <laughs> now, that's so it, funny you say ice bath and sun it's right here <laughs> is it just is it part of your workout routine or have you ever just gotten in there to shift your mental state because i'll do it sometimes just to be like just to shift out of a bad state if i'm in a you know if i'm in a, like having a bad moment or a bad day or whatever and i find that just going back and forth uh, between the cold and the hot and the cold and the hot will shift it for me right i like to do it in the evening time to relax myself to put me in that kind of um, grounds and sometimes I do it in the daytime and I like to finish in the ice in the daytime because it kind of kickstarts you a little bit more you finish in a 15 minute sauna you're out you're like looking like Frankenstein you know what I mean so anybody that I'm though a really 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 tight feeling really good it just does something to you that <sighs> gets the toxins come out in the sauna you know those um, hot and cold shock proteins get mixed around and it kind of just um, makes you feel better awesome. how long do you stay in the ice bath for I do a three-minute rounds, maybe three to five minutes. Depends how I feel and how hot the sauna is and how long I've stayed. Sometimes I'll just do a thirty-second, thirty-second dip. It just it depends. At the end of every episode, we like to ask a few couple questions, and you can pass if you don't want to answer any of them. What's uh, what if you could have any? 
like a few, a few, a few questions. If you could have any superpower, what, what would what would you want to have and why? Um, there's any superpower I could have would be able to. It'd be a dual superpower. <laughs> it'd be one that could heal the oceans and the earth from all of the wrongdoings of the humans. And the other superpower I think I have, I just need to figure out how to write it down on a paper and bring everybody together through song and music. Um, I believe that I have that superpower and I have the superpower team around me. It's just going to take that really hard work and dedication to actually let those lyrics down and, and write that song that heals the world and, and, and changes everybody's mind. You know, you're the first person to say that. Everybody always just wants to fucking fly. And you and you <laughs> want to have a generous superpower to heal the oceans in the world and share the love of your song. So, like, that right there fills my heart because that just shows how you care about other people and you care about the planet. Okay, if you could make up a rule or a law that everyone had to follow, what would it be? You just have to live your life with aloha. Share that aloha around the world. Got it. Last question. Uh, if you... If, uh, well, let me give you this one. What, uh, you probably don't even watch TV, but maybe you do. What character from a TV show or a movie would you most like to be or least like to be? Ooh. Who's your favorite character from a TV show or a movie? <coughs> hmm. I think I like to be Paddington Bear. <laughs> Why Paddington Cause comes, Bear? Because he comes from the tropics like me and he has, uh, He's just a cool bear that, that always pulls it off and figures it out. And he can, you know, everybody thinks he's gonna, he done wrong, but it wasn't him. And Dude, your, answer, <laughs> your answers are the fucking best. I'm going to ask you one more because I like your answers so much. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in someone's house? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can even say that on the camera. I knew. But... I knew you would be thinking of something fucking illegal or something horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> No, That's right. you, you can skip it if you want. Um, fuck. I know it's, it was pretty weird to see dog rape at Feldy's. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer, Makua. Makua, I love you, so man. Makua Rothman, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Love you guys so too. Much. Yes. Thanks so remember much for everybody. coming on. Hey, remember. Keep aloha, aloha. Love you guys. Have a good one. And I will see you again soon. Wait, Talk to all of you. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.